Good morning, everybody. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Our opening hymn of praise this morning is one that celebrates God's good creation and the presence of God with us. And you're invited, if you're able and if you would like to, to stand with us as we sing together. The words are on the sheet and will also appear on the screen behind me. We're going to join now in some prayers of thanksgiving and of confession. And after that, we will join together in saying the Lord's Prayer. And our practice here at Hillhead is that we all say it in our own first language and in whichever version is most natural for us. So I'm really hoping for some lovely mingling of languages and voices this morning as we share in that. If it's a prayer with which you are completely unfamiliar, that's totally fine. If you would like to join in, there will be one version of it appear on the screen. So let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for the gift of autumn, for the crunch of multicolored fallen leaves under our feet, and the bright redness of berries on bushes and trees. 
for the snuggly warmth of thick socks and woolly jumpers and the comfort of hot soups, stews and casseroles. For the nip in the air on the brightest of days and the skeins of geese crossing clear blue skies. For the safety of home where we can relax and play and the city where we can work and learn, laugh and love. Thank you, God, for your good creation and for each season of the year. Sorry, God, for the ways we have failed to care for our environment, for sweet wrappers and bus tickets dropped in parks and streets, and plastic bags and single-use cups abandoned with ease, for lights left on when no one was there, and heating turned up higher than we really need for grumbling about the things that are inconvenient to us when others are really cold or hungry, homeless or in pain. Sorry, God, for careless attitudes and selfish choices. Generous God, who gives us so much. Gracious God, who forgives us and lets us try again. Thank you for your unending love. Forgiven and set free, we join our prayers with those of others for the incoming of your kingdom as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The lion is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Thank you.
Addy and Moji, would you like to come forward with your children? And come stand at the front and turn around so everybody can see you, because they don't want to see the back of you. They want to see how lovely you all look this morning. And they certainly don't want to see my ugly mug, that's for sure. It is always a real joy to welcome new people into the family of the church, to celebrate with them and to ask for God's blessing for them. And today it's a very special pleasure to welcome David, to thank God for him and to promise to support him and his family in the years ahead. But first of all, we're going to hear some words which were penned, I believe, by one of my predecessors here for occasions such as this. And we offer them For you especially today, David. David, for you Jesus Christ came into the world. For you he lived and showed God's love. For you he suffered the darkness of Calvary and cried at the last, it is accomplished. For you he triumphed over death and rose in newness of life. For you he ascended to reign at God's right hand. All this he did for you, David, though you do not yet know it. And so the word of scripture is fulfilled. We love because God loved us first. So we're going to have some questions, and the first questions are for Adi and Muji. Do you thank God for his gift of David? And do you accept the joys and duties of parenthood? Promising to give love and to care for him. We do. Do you promise to bring up your child within the Christian community and to share your own faith with him? And if you're able and if you would like to, to stand as a sign of your support to Adi and Moji in their care of their children, you are invited to stand, whether this is your normal place of worship or not. And if you feel able to give assent to the promise um, to join in by saying we do, it's on the screen so you'll know when it comes. We're standing specially to support David Bonnie. We all did this for you not so long ago, but good, good question, very important question because sometimes we don't think about these things. So I say to the congregation gathered here, do you promise, insofar as you are able, to offer to David and his family your love and care and to join with his parents in sharing our Christian faith. Thank you. You can sit down now. Okay, this is the best bit. This is where I get to hold the baby. I would like to point out that I've been waiting while every other woman in the congregation has had a go at this, but I'm the one that gets it today, and it's wonderful. So lovely to hold you, David. Let's just take you around and show you off to all these adoring fans that you have out here. This is David, who you have promised to support and pray for, if that's your thing, to encourage his parents, to encourage him in the good times and in the bad times, Now, whilst he's a gorgeous baby boy, and when he's an obnoxious teenager, and everywhere in between, this is David, God's gift to us, and for whom we are very grateful. And so, David, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace today and always. Amen. And can we gently express our support? One of the great joys and privileges of an occasion like this is to invite the parents of a child to choose a hymn that for them is meaningful. And so the next hymn was chosen by Adi and Moji as a hymn that they would like to sing on this occasion of dedication and blessing. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Sunday school or to the creche, feel free. Um, if you prefer to keep them with you, that's absolutely fine. And please don't worry if they need to wander around. 
It's not going to upset anybody today. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 15 to 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving your Lord your Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give you to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Now large crowds were travelling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost? to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to oppose the one who comes against him, with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions.
I don't know about you, but for me, those two Bible readings are the kind that you just kind of would rather not bother with. They're a bit scary, aren't they? And at first sight, on a day like today, when we've just been welcoming a new baby into our congregation, you think, well, what on earth has that got to do with anything? Uh, So a little bit of background as to why we have those readings and where we're going for the next few weeks. Uh, For the next four Sundays, we're going to use some material that was prepared by Eco Congregation Scotland for what is known as creation time. Strictly speaking, that is a time that runs through September and it's designed to lead into a harvest festival. The thing is, we'd already got things planned for those few weeks, so we didn't do it then. But I think it's still useful as something to follow on from the Harvest Festival. And so the readings that we're invited to reflect on are those that were set in the lectionary for September. But it doesn't really matter if we look at them in October and November. And before we look at those readings, perhaps it's useful to get a bit of background about this idea of creation time and the eco-congregation movement which operates globally in various different forms. The information I'm going to share with you about Eco-Congregation and Eco-Congregation Scotland comes from the relevant websites. The marking of creation time goes back to 1989. So some people here, possibly if they were born, were pretty tiny then. I'd only been left school a few years then. And this is when the ecumenical patriarch of the Orthodox Church suggested that the 1st of September, the first day of their liturgical year, should be observed as a day of protection of the natural environment. About 10 years later, the European Christian Environment Network, it's a snappy name, isn't it, widened the proposal, urging churches to adopt a time for creation stretching from the 1st of September to the 4th of October, which is the Feast of St. Francis. And actually, it's the day before some of us were baptised, isn't it, Morag? 5th of October being baptism day for some of us. It's got nothing to do with it, but I thought I'd get it in there. The third European Ecumenical Council in Romania in 2007 endorsed this and recommended that a period be, quote, dedicated to prayer for the protection of creation and the promotion of sustainable lifestyles that reverse our contribution to climate change. I'll just say that again. A period dedicated to prayer for the protection of creation and the promotion of sustainable lifestyles that reverse our contribution to climate change. Since 2008, Churches Together in Britain and Ireland has compiled a programme of resources to encourage and assist churches to observe creation time, including suggestions of ways that churches, groups and individuals could focus on creation as a theme at this time of year. And more recently, resources have been developed specifically in a Scottish context by or on behalf of Eco Congregation Scotland. So what is eco-congregation then? Eco-congregation developed from a partnership between a UK-funded environmental charity that was called NCAMS, short for Environmental Campaigns, and is now known as Keep Britain Tidy. So it was a partnership between them, 
and the Environmental Issues Network of Churches Together in Britain and Ireland. And I think that of itself is interesting that it's always been an interesting way of church and state working together. And very interesting for us as Baptists. Eco-congregation was developed from a pilot study involving 22 churches from across Britain and Ireland, four of which were in Scotland. And they did a lot of local initiatives and tested out some resource packs from the United Reformed Church, the Church of England and Christian Ecology Link. And the the eco-congregation resource modules that are used today were developed from that. On the 19th of September 2000, almost like the start of a new millennium, eco-congregation was dedicated at special service in St Paul's Cathedral in London in the presence of representatives of most of the main denominations. And on that occasion, a special mulberry tree was planted in the cathedral grounds. Eco-congregation and similar initiatives can be found throughout the British Isles and also in Norway, Hungary, Canada, the USA and some parts of Southern Africa. I think it's interesting to see where the countries are that have embraced this idea. Eco-congregation Scotland was officially launched at a special dedication service at Dunblane Cathedral on the 28th of March 2001. Senior representatives of the major denominations signed a pledge committing churches to the programme. And people came from congregations all over Scotland to take part in that service and to make a statement together as the churches in Scotland. Unfortunately, the Baptist Union of Scotland wasn't part of that. But that doesn't mean to say that Baptist Union of Scotland churches don't care about the environment. Because since then a lot of churches right across Scotland have got involved, including churches from the Baptist Union of Scotland, the Church of Scotland, the Jesuits, Methodists, Presbyterian Church of Ireland in Scotland, Religious Society of Friends, Roman Catholics, Russian Orthodox, Scottish Congregational Church, Scottish Episcopal Church, United Free Church and the United Reformed Church. It's amazing what you can find out from a website. So basically, whatever kind of Christian you are in Scotland you're kind of committed to this, whether formally or informally. And we as a church are not at this point in time registered as an eco-congregation. But this is something we might want to think about in the future. And and if it strikes a chord with you, then come and have a chat to me, because some of us are so busy doing the day-to-day, grown-up, boring stuff of the church, we have no time and energy left to do exciting new things. So if it's something you, you're inspired by, then, then have a chat with me. So we have the Creation Time worship material that was created by contributors from the Church of Scotland, Scottish Episcopal Church, and the United Reformed Church. And their theme was followers of Jesus caring for creation. And they emphasised the gospel readings from Luke which are in the Revised Common Lectionary. So that's the background. I'm not going to test you on it later, but hopefully it sets the scene a bit for what we're thinking about. The Old Testament reading we heard this morning emerges in the context of a Hebrew nation becoming established after the exodus from Egypt. Gathered together at Moab, the people are called to renew their covenant with God. And a choice has to be made between two diametrically opposed options. On the one hand, 
they can choose life and prosperity. And on the other, death and adversity. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that seems like a no-brainer. Of course, you're going to choose life and prosperity. But maybe what they don't quite be so quick to realise is that there is a link between their choice and its implications. If they want to live long and prosper, they must obey the commands of God. A choice has to be made between one of complete self-determination, which risks the consequences of human sin and finitude, including death and adversity, or one of chosen obedience, which brings the potential of life and prosperity. Perhaps, though, we need to take a moment to pause and think about what is meant by the word prosperity. We shouldn't be hearing that word as referring to material advantage, financial gain or career advancement. Prosperity here means flourishing rather than perhaps what our secular society might view as success. And in a culture where we're conditioned to think about what is best for me or at the most me and mine, we are needing to remember that for the ancient Hebrews, the words would have been heard and understood as referring to communal well-being, the common good, or the common weal, if you like. A choice has to be made that impacts everyone. And so implicit within that choice is that everyone is of equal value and importance. The tiniest baby the oldest adult, the person with the highest academic qualifications, the person who has learning disabilities, the person who can achieve much and the person who can apparently offer little. All of these people are equally important and the choices made affect them. And equally important, but perhaps easily overlooked, is this is a choice with long-term consequences. It's not just a choice for the here and now. It's a choice that will directly or indirectly affect their descendants. I think it's probably fair to say that often the long-term implications of human decisions are unknown. But we don't have to look very far or think very hard to realise that the, of the unintended consequences of decisions made by our own forebears, often in ignorance, but at least sometimes motiv- motivated by ambition or greed. Sadly, it's often the case that each generation and each nation looks to its own advantage And only in retrospect can we realise the folly of our ways. I'm reminded very much of the old Cree proverb that says it like this. Only when the last tree has died and the last river been poisoned and the last fish been caught will we realise we cannot eat money. 
there are long-term implications for good or ill of the decisions made by us individually, collectively and societally. And so it's a good thing that overall we in the West are beginning to challenge the unthinking march of technology and science and to realise that long-term implications do need to be considered. Of course, it is true that even when we think we've understood and we think we've thought of everything, there can still be unintended consequences which we perhaps couldn't anticipate. But that same choice given to the Hebrew people, life or death, flourishing or destruction, is no less stark and no less important than it ever was. I think it's interesting, just yesterday, hearing on the news about decisions made on um, the new gases that are in fridges and freezers and things, that they're going to stop those, and that will slow down climate change, they think, by half a degree over a century. I don't know whether that's a lot or a little, um, but there is this sense that we have to start thinking more carefully. Today, we've thanked God for David. We've welcomed him into this church community. And we've promised to support his parents as they bring him up and nurture him in faith. And that is all really good. But I wonder how much we think about the implications of our choices on a daily basis on his generation, or even for his children and his grandchildren. When David is my age, in 53 years' time, or older, What kind of world will he live in? What choices, large or small, that we make today will impact his future? And the future of around about 360,000 babies who will be born in the world today. Do our choices, directly or indirectly, lead to life in all its fullness, or death, disease, and disappointment. These are tough choices, and the New Testament reading seems to me to make them even more so. Not simply a choice between life and death, prosperity and adversity, but if we listen to what Jesus has recorded as saying, a choice between following him and everything else. No half measures, it seems. They're very scary verses. I'm not going to try to unpack today about the cost of discipleship. I just want to note that following Jesus is costly, emotionally, financially, and practical, and that Jesus expects his would-be followers to weigh that up before they decide to follow him. The example of a man building a tower seemed to resonate a bit with me as I thought about our redevelopment project. You wouldn't blithely set out to build a new church without first carefully thinking about the implications, the cost of the material and labour, the need for temporary premises, the emotional implications of closing a building, or the challenges of holding together a community for an extended, even if finite, period of time. 
And that, says Jesus, is the kind of implications you should think about in following him. If we believe, and I certainly do, that to follow Jesus means to take very seriously our responsibility towards the created order of which we're part, then we have to think through what that means. It isn't enough just to have a four-week sermon series talking about creation. It isn't enough to sign up as an eco-congregation and undertake some training if that's something we decide to do. It isn't even enough to choose this or that seemingly greener option. Rather, it means a much more challenging path of recognising the ambiguity of the options that confront us. The balance between what seems to be good now and what might be judged as good when we are all long gone. It means that our plans, both personally within our families and collectively as a community of God's people, have to be undertaken carefully and prayerfully. It means avoiding the allure of easy answers to complicated questions. It means accepting that sometimes the best we can do is going to be a compromise or the lesser of a number of evils. It means being able to look our children and grandchildren in the eye and to say, whatever we chose, we sought your well-being and that of your children and their children. It means valuing God's good creation and playing our part, however small, to ensure the well-being of all life on earth and to be responsible in our use of the earth's resources. When I arrived here seven years ago, just over, I was shown the then redevelopment plans and I asked questions. And some of those questions related to the green credentials of what was proposed. And I learned a lot, some that was really encouraging and some that was a bit disappointing. I was really encouraged to learn that careful consideration had been given to all sorts of things, including ground source heating, solar panels and small-scale wind turbines. And I was disappointed to discover that none of those was feasible or viable for this site. But I was then encouraged again that rather than giving up and going, well, what the heck, a lot of attention had been given and is still being given today to the environmental impact of the choices that are made in redeveloping these premises, not just for now, but for the long term. So if you want one example of something we're still weighing up and thinking about at the moment, it's the possibility of a green roof. Not saying we will do it, not saying we won't do it, because it's something that has to be weighed up carefully. It sounds great, a a roof that's covered in in grass and stuff, and and it looks nice, and it's better for people upstairs and work kind of thing. But then you have to get up there and look after it. And there may be questions about how robust it is. So, not easy. But these questions continue to be wrestled with by the steering group, by the specification committee, 
group, whatever it's called, by the managers. Lots of work is being expended on things like energy efficiency. And when we do move back into our wonderful new premises, and we will at some point, then we will take a rigorous review of the energy suppliers we choose, holding in mind our responsibilities as stewards of God's creation. But in the end, there will have to be some compromises. And we might not achieve everything we'd like to. But we have this forward-facing, future-hoping attitude in all that we are attempting. I hope that encourages you if you've had questions in that area. God said to the gathered people at Moab, today... I set before you a choice. Jesus said to the people who wanted to follow him, have you counted the cost? If life and health and well-being are what we seek, then we must carefully weigh up the cost, plan equally carefully, and commit ourselves with God's help to make that a reality. It may be that some people have been inspired today to find out more about eco-congregations. And if that's you, that's great. Please take it and run with it. It might be that we've been inspired to think more carefully about our own choices. Where do we get our electricity and gas from? The insulation in our houses, the lights we leave on, or whatever it might be. Perhaps God is saying to us individually or collectively... Today I set before you a choice. What plans will you make? If you feel today stirred in some way to respond to any of that, then don't just sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. Because it could be that part of your own flourishing and fulfilment your own prosperity and life will be found in putting that energy to work. Whether it's at church, at home, or in the wider world. Today, I set before you a choice, says God. Life and prosperity, or death and adversity. So choose life. We're going to sing a song that captures some of that tension and reminds us that God is with us in all of it. My life flows on in endless song, above earth's lamentation. I catch the sweet, though far off hymn, that hails a new creation.
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Lord of life, you call us to follow and you warn us of the cost of discipleship as your love overwhelms our life. Lord of life, we pray today for those who pay a very high cost for faith as they face danger, persecution or death from what they believe. We remember today those who cry out for peace as they work in their communities and across the world to end conflict. We pray today for those who speak up against systems of power as they seek to transform economics and politics for the good <coughs> of all. For all who, those who carry burdens and crosses to walk your ways, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord of life, we pray today for your creation, paying such a high price. God of all, you give us life, and in your generosity, you give us freedom to choose life and hope for us, for others and for creation, or to turn away to dust and despair. Fill us with your love for ourselves, for others, and for creation, that we would listen, we would follow, and we would flourish in new fullness of life for all, whatever it brings. Amen.
What is there that you cannot do, our God? You have made creation beautiful and have set us within it as part of it. So help us to use these gifts of money wisely, to share the good news of Jesus, and to continue the work of building his kingdom here on earth. Amen. Our closing hymn is a hymn of dedication, a hymn of commitment. O Jesus, I have promised to serve you to the end. If you're able and would like to, please stand with us as we sing. May the God of all creation, 
So fill us with love and wonder that we may be inspired to play our part in caring for it now and preserving its well-being for those who follow us today, tomorrow and for all time. Thank you.